Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited to welcome everybody back. In our last episode, I interviewed Caitlin, and I love that so much. I said, hey, I got I to gotta keep doing that. And then, of course, I dropped the ball. No excuses, but we're back. And our second willing volunteer, excited volunteer, really super enthusiastic volunteer is, I think, the best way to describe this, is Mandisa. And Mandisa is our head of talent. And just as a real quick background of, of how we met, I worked with a gentleman by the name of Rishi Khanna back about eight years ago at a company called Novus. And that was one of Talentism's first customers, probably first 10, one of the first 10 customers. And uh, back in the days when we did a lot of recruiting type stuff. Anyway, fast forward to about, I think a year and a half ago, I was reading LinkedIn. I love to scan LinkedIn. And I saw Rishi liked this post from someone named Mandisa. And so I read the article and it was fantastic. I just loved it. And so I immediately reached out to Rishi and I said, do you know this person named Mandisa? You liked her post. And he wrote back and said, I hope so. We're married. And from there, I was able to connect with Mandisa. And then we can navigate the rest of the story over the course of this interview. But uh, I have to say that was one of the most fortuitous five minutes of reading of my life. And uh, I've never regretted having taken that time and reached out. And Mandisa has just always been a joy to work with and somebody I'm incredibly grateful to have here. So Mandisa, welcome. Thank you so much for participating. Thank you for sharing your story with everybody. Oh, thanks. I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to be here. I was nervous before, but now that we're here, I'm excited. Good, good, great. So that first time I reached out and, and I said, hey, listen, I'd love to talk to you about uh, talentism. What were your thoughts? Like, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, well, for context, that was like, you know, the summer of 2020. And um, I had just a few months before made a shift where I had left my retail career, which I had kind of been involved in for a long time to become a coach and had launched my own practice. And I was, you know, doing a bunch of stuff and, you know, publishing our articles on LinkedIn was kind of part of the experiment. And um, I was really in a place where I was very open to sort of when people would kind of say, hey, you know, do you want to talk about X, Y, Z? If I had any kind of inclination, I'm like, this sounds interesting. And I would always just say yes. And so I didn't think I definitely didn't think that, you know, I uh, would never have been able to predict the outcome of, you know, me saying, yeah, Jeff, I'll talk to you for a few minutes, um, you know, these couple of years later. But I was like, oh, like, yeah, sure. Why not? So that's kind of the mind state I was in. And obviously, you know, once I started kind of talking to you and other folks at Talentism, um, I don't know, a lot of things just started clicking for me. And thank goodness they did. So let's go back to the start. Take us through the story of Mandisa. Where were you born, family, growing up? Give us a little bit of your life interview. Sure. I was born in Detroit, Michigan. Um, my family has kind of a long history in Detroit. Um, both my parents um, went to Detroit high schools and grew up in the city. I grew up in the suburbs nearby. And yeah, I think, you know, I have a very kind of supportive sort of small family. It's me and my brother who's eight years or maybe closer to nine years younger than me. And, you know, just had a really happy childhood. Um, you know, really was a beautiful place to, to grow up and go to school. And um, yeah, I guess that's sort of the me in a nutshell 
in terms of, of my early days. So you go to high school, any hobbies? Yeah. So as a kid, I was, um, I, I like to read a lot. So I was a big reader. Um, in high school, I went to Detroit Country Day School, which is kind of the type of school that's like pretty rigorous academically, but they also is sort of a big athletic school. I am not a super athletic person, but I'm kind of a participator, I would say, or like a, you know, a joiner. I like to try things. So um, I played some sports, volleyball, lacrosse, which I enjoyed. Um, like I said, it's probably not excellent. It's not where my excellence is, <laughs> probably where my big four is, but I did that kind of stuff. Um, I wrote for the school newspaper. I was pretty into actually creative writing back then um, and poetry specifically. So I wrote for a poetry magazine. What else in high school? That was, those were, yeah, that, that was how I kind of spent my time. Okay. So where did you go after, after high school? Did you go to college? I went to the University of Michigan. Okay. So you're a Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Go okay, blue. why? Why why go blue? Why do you why do you pick University of Michigan? Let's see, a couple reasons. Um one reason was my brother was so much younger than me. So when I went off to college, I was, you know, 18, he was 10 or 9 or 10 or something like that. And there was definitely something sort of, you know, in my mind about kind of being able to kind of still be away from home, but be sort of part of the family life occasionally when I chose to. That was appealing about Michigan. So, you know, Ann Arbor, it was about 45 minutes away. The other piece of it was really kind of a kind of a financial decision. I um, got a bunch of scholarships to University of Michigan in that like college was basically free. And so when I was stacking up the choices of the places that I had gotten into, it just I don't know, the uh, sort of, you know, the opportunity to graduate and no debt and stuff like that was just too good to pass up as well. Okay. And did you enjoy college? I loved it. Yeah, I did. I'd like, I'd love to go back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> good. Okay. I, I do not share that similar excitement, but then I didn't go to a, a very cool school like you did. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what did you major in in college? I was an economics major. Now, why economics? You know, I think it was, I was interested in a lot of stuff. There was probably a lot of things that I could have been really excited to deep dive into academically. Some of the other ones were like anthropology, psychology, things like that. Economics for me, the reasons I chose it were, um, one, I sort of was really kind of intrigued by kind of learning how the world worked. And I felt like, Economics is one of those sort of fields where you can get a perspective into that. Two, I sort of was really interested in kind of like development economics, particularly. I think I had sort of a, an idea that I would maybe go into like, you know, academics or something or research in the future kind of around that, that zone. But I also probably, you know, this is like the mix of compulsions and fear, right? I also was kind of like, well, it's also marketable, you know, it's sort of one of those general things where I was like, well, you know, if all else fails, it's sort of there's there felt like there was a little bit of kind of safety there as well. Got it. So you spent quite a bit of time at um, Federated. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that, because you were there like over 12 years, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Was so t- so t- t- take me through that journey, because just as a little bit of disclosure, earlier in my career, my company did a lot of work with Federated. So I, and then 
I have friends who now are associated with it. And so I've always had this sort of view of Federated. Um, tell me about your experience. Tell me about like why you went there and what that was like. Yeah, definitely. So I think the context for me landing there, I definitely all my time there, I was in roles that I like really didn't know existed, essentially kind of coming out of college. So when I came right out of college, I spent a couple of years in investment banking, because it was sort of like that, like, I don't know what I want, you know, like it, it would move me to New York City. And I thought that was interesting and whatever. But quickly, I was like, well, this is not my path for the long term. And I was like, so what else, right? And I just had this inclination that I wanted to, like, what I knew about myself at the time is that I was I had sort of like an somewhat analytical mind, but I really wanted to apply that to something that felt um, sort of creative adjacent or sort of like there was like a tangibleness with like real customers and things going on in the real world. So I landed at Macy's in their burgeoning sort of e-commerce division in like 2007 as um a retail planner. And so this to me was like, basically what I did was like, you know, kind of write models for how we would deal with inventory, what, you know, sales we were predicting and all that kind of stuff. And so to me, it was like bringing those two things together at that time in my life when I entered into the company. And it was super interesting place to be because it was sort of like, kind of like working in a startup, but with like big company resources around it. And because it was kind of weird, it was like the Ecom division was kind of like running separately on its own. And so it was like huge growth, like really interesting stuff. There was a lot of kind of freedom to kind of do stuff and, and just try to drive growth, which was like really enticing and just like a pretty exciting time because, you know, back then, I'm obviously old now. <laughs> Online shopping was kind of relatively new. Okay. So tell me about the experience of going from that. And even though you you had many promotions and and role changes within the Macy's environment, Macy's being a part of Federated, then you exit that and you come to build your own coaching practice and you come to talentism. What would you say are the main differences and the things you've learned in that change? Yeah, it's it's so interesting because my time with Macy's it was full of a ton of change. Right, I would say kind of the beginning part was like a bit you know, stable and there was a lot of growth. And then there was a point in time where the e-commerce division was sucked up by the, you know, stores, sort of omni-channel division. And then everything kind of changed. And I felt like I was like picked up from one company and dropped in another. And then from there, there was just a ton of restructure after restructure. So like so much change, so much upheaval. It was interesting. I learned, I think it's so funny because after I kind of started learning about big four and having talentism language, I was like, oh, I learned really like viscerally what kind of culture I don't like. And like, I really had the picture of what is not a fit for me. And that was sort of the experience I was having. And, but I had no idea what to do about it. And at one point I was actually given a coach um, when I was at Macy's. And that was a really pivotal experience for me because sort of, I feel like, again, I'm in a sort of role that I never would have known existed when I was, you know, leaving college and all that stuff or thinking about career. And um, yeah, coaching was definitely one of those things too. And even if I had like a conception of what coaching was, I probably had a mental model that, you know, there's, you had to sort of come into it from certain backgrounds. 
I thought maybe you had to come in through an HR background or maybe you came in through like a therapy background or something. But the coach I had that I was matched to just had a general business background. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it really opened my mind and kind of seeing him work with me, I kind of was really looking at it from a meta perspective and, and something really clicked when I was going through that experience. I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. So that was kind of the impetus of like, okay, I can see it now. I know what I need to do. I'm going to kind of take some steps and, and sort of make this career pivot. Can you, can you tell me now, so I, you've been coaching for a while. You're one of our senior coaches. Um, tell me about what is the most rewarding and or satisfying thing, the most meaningful thing for you in coaching. Can you give me an example of something that was just incredibly meaningful to you? I think a couple things come to mind, like really immediately. The first one is outcomes that are meaningful to me are usually if somebody is able to achieve something or break through something or kind of do something that they never would have suspected they could do. So like helping people see what they can do that they would have maybe assumed they couldn't, or maybe other people around them may have assumed they couldn't or something like that. So it's sort of like this uncovering, unlocking of, I guess, potential, for lack of a better word. Um, that's a piece of it. And then the thing that like, when I feel like I'm really in flow, it's like that when you can see it, you know, you can like see the thing that the person's not seeing, you can help them see it, and then they're seeing it. And so I don't know if that makes any sense. But yeah, of course, that's what that's what like, I feel like a real deep connection to. So the flip side of that, when somebody is saying to you, hey, I'm really good at this, and you're looking at all the evidence, you're like, hmm, I don't think so. How do you experience that? Because oh, as a coach, yeah. one of the things I find, because I think I share with you that, that sense of just joy and a sense of pride and meaning when I see somebody realize something that they're capable of or find the courage to explore something or any, any of that, like I'll be like, wow, that's, this was a good day that I'm, I'm living my best life by helping that person. But then you get the other side where somebody is unwilling to do those things or is, or is sort of caught up in a narrative that doesn't make any sense about other people or themselves. How do you, how do you experience that? Do you, do you enjoy confronting that? Do you not enjoy, enjoy that? Give me, give me your view on that. That, you know, the honest answer is I'm not sure how much I enjoy or don't enjoy it, right? Because I think it's probably context dependent. But what comes to mind for me is the times that I do enjoy it, it's because it opens up like a curiosity for me of like, huh, why is it important to you that you feel good in this area when it may not be true? And like, what's going on there? And what does that tell us about kind of the bigger picture? You know, like when people get kind of stuck, I think, I think that would be like an example of somebody who's like pretty stuck. And I do oftentimes, I do enjoy and find meaning of getting, the, getting people unstuck. But I know that in the process, it can feel frustrating for me, for sure. 
So I guess it's kind of a mixed answer, yeah. right? Because like when you're in the, in the mud stuck with them, it doesn't feel that great. But um, to the extent that, you know, you end up making progress and you stick with it, then yeah, it's, it's really rewarding. I often find that that frustration that you're expressing is a beautiful indication of meaning. And what I mean by that is, we used to have this phrase we used all the time, the intolerable opportunity. And the intolerable opportunity is the thing that doesn't trigger passion or inspiration in you, but instead frustration or anger. But the frustration or anger is that the thing exists, not that you have to deal with it, if that makes any sense. There's lots of stuff in the world that exists and then it's a bummer and you have to deal with it. And you're like, why do I got to deal with this? As opposed to the frustration or anger you feel with like, no, this should not, this should not happen. And then if you feel, if you had a compulsion to help someone when they're in that place, that frustration is actually really good fuel. Uh, and that's why we call it the intolerable opportunity because it is, you can't tolerate the fact that somebody is stuck. For me, I don't know if this is accurately describing you. For me, that's what I experience mm -hmm. is it's a fuel for me to be in that moment, to be like, there is so much more. You are so much more capable. You have so much in front of you. You being stuck here, I can't accept it. I mean, of course I have to accept it. I can't change them. I can't tell them not to be stuck, but I also don't have to accept that this will persist. I don't have to give up. I don't have to, I can instead be fully engaged through that frustration. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? I think what I have found practically when I'm in those moments is what that frustration ends up fueling for me is actually um, risk-taking. So like, those are the moments when like, if I get that frustrated that I'm willing to then take like some kind of personal risk or whatever, what feels like a personal risk, thanks to my membership trigger or whatever. And where like, I'm, yeah. you know, you're able to just like do something like not, I, I mean, I, I guess I would use the word drastic, but you know, it's just a conversation. So how drastic yeah. can it be? Um, but like the yeah. fuel like leads to the risk taking that then sometimes leads to the breakthrough. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but like, I guess without the frustration, I probably wouldn't do the risky thing, probably. That's, that's fantastic. So it's like a fuel for courage almost. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, so I love that point. Thank you for going there with me because I think that's, everybody finds their own path to meaning and everybody finds their own path to courage. And, and being in that place where you are so, you care so much about the person you're helping or you're coaching, which I think is the same thing. And in that moment, you feel like they are the only thing that's standing in the way of what they want. And you experience that frustration and that fuels courage because the overall context is so meaningful to you, I think is a beautiful expression of what, frankly, how a lot of personal growth happens. So that's really, that's really cool. Okay, so taking a little pivot here, What's your favorite activity with the people you love? You've got a family. Um, you've got this great life. What do you love doing with the people you love? You know, I think probably like number one on my list is um, 
I love being in a space where I can have people over, you know, including my family and maybe like another family or two or whatever. Practically, this generally takes place upstate at our place in the Hudson Valley just for like space logistical reasons. Um, Having people over, cooking a dinner, putting on music, like all really casual and just kind of just hosting people in a really casual way probably is the, is, and it's, it's ironic because like, it's like, I love cooking in that context and then like day-to-day cooking like really drags me down. And so it's really that, that magic of, um, you know, sort of having people over, having people just kind of be able to relax and, and um, yeah, and hang out, I guess. Oh, that is so cool. So almost more like nourishing them than feeding them yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. What in those environments, in those times, what do you love to cook? Um, you know, in those environments, I actually love to try new things. Um, so that's where, so like, you know, I said, I don't like day-to-day cooking. It's because like my, my family is very picky, you know, and they like don't the yeah, same things yeah. I like. And I'm just like, oh, I'm not a short order cook. No, thank you. You can like do your own thing. Um, yeah, yeah. but like, I love when you get enough people together where you kind of know like, oh, there's a couple recipes I could try. And I know that there's going to be enough people that are just going to be super appreciative of this. Um, so I really like to try new things. I also really like to, um, put together a really good cheese and charcuterie board and, and like make cocktails as well. I feel like I have talents there. Okay. Charcuterie mm-hmm. and cocktails. I think that's pretty good. I think that's a good CNC. <laughs> so, okay. So now tell me, tell me somebody um, who you admire, who you've met along your journey, somebody who you think has been, who's helped you, somebody maybe you've never met, but you've am- admired from afar. Who do you admire and, and why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can think of a few different a few different ways of answering this question. One person is probably um, probably my grandmother, who's no longer with us, but I had the benefit of having her in my life for a very long time. And you know, there's just something. Oh man, there's like so much to admire about her, but like. I think the crux of it or the thing that feels most like meaningful to me is just how she lived her life sometimes in a pretty simple way. Um, just really like rooted in kindness. And I'm like going to cry <laughs> because it's, you know, it's emotional, but um, yeah, I think my grandmother is kind of the one that really comes to mind for me. That's beautiful. When you say she was rooted in kindness and the way she treated others, the way she viewed the world, her, her lived experience. Yeah, I think, I think all of it probably. Um, and it's almost like, it's like, I can't even explain what it is. It's just something you felt. Um, yeah, I just, I think that like visceral experience of kindness, you know, it really, it goes far for a person really kind of, you know, when you talk about, about, um, you know, nourishing, it's like a nourishing experience that I think is, is lifelong. Yeah. I didn't think I would cry today, Jeff. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I should have known though. It's part part of my big four. Yeah. People tend to cry around me. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> well, thank you very much for sharing that. I, when people describe that sort of kindness to me, the, the way I think about it is almost acceptance. Like just a very generous presence of spirit and being with you and not judging you, but accepting you. And in that, it's almost like the the very epitome of love. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is, I don't know if that's what you're describing, but when I've experienced people in my life who have been that kind, that's what I've experienced. Yeah. 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 You're, you, I, I like the words you're putting on it. Cause like, for me, it's just like, it's almost like just this feeling, you know, and it's like intangible, but yeah, right. I like the words you're using with it. I think it's such a beautiful expression because I think often when we are in the moments in coaching where we are at our highest and best, we're in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even though often we're saying things that are hard to others, there's a kindness, not a niceness, but a kindness in it, an acceptance of how difficult this is, but an acceptance more so of even the person. and and what they're struggling with and just a basic acceptance of who they are and being there for them, which, you know, is another word for that I find is compassion. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to find compassionate people in the world. And when you ex- have them in your life, it's such a gift. It's just such an incredible gift. It's like almost the pinnacle of human relationship in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. All right. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dwell on that, but I'm so grateful you you shared that with us. Um, your grandmother sound sounds like she was amazing. Okay, so we're down to the final question, and as we were doing a warm up to to get on the recording, I told you this question was coming. It's a question <laughs> I'm going to ask everybody. So get ready. How can everyone at Talentism help you unleash your potential? Yeah, yeah. Such a hard question, and I actually think. Yeah. So two things came to mind for me. So um, one is, I think I'm like actually pretty open with people that like identify as an introvert, you know, I um, get my energy from being alone, all that stuff. Um, and, And it's cool to be like open about that of like, you know, that this is what I'm like and all that stuff. So People sort of already know that, but I think that, you know, the, the somewhat something that comes along with that is um, you might ask me a question and then I might have like an answer. If you suspect that I'm not giving you the real answer, go ahead and ask me twice <laughs> because I find that that can be like super duper helpful because it's sometimes it's like I'm not trying to hold back, you know, um, intentionally, but like. Maybe I don't even know I'm holding back. Like if I get that second invitation, you know, I feel sometimes that just opens up something. And then I think the second thing is sort of like almost like wrapped in the question and like why why I think the question is hard is like um, it's hard for people to see themselves clearly. It's easier to see other people. And so man, I guess I would just say I'm pretty open. Like if you have some kind of observation or something you think might be helpful really to anybody, I love hearing. Um, I love hearing for consideration, like, oh, what do you think is going on? How are you experiencing? It's just all helpful. So probably those, those two things, I suppose. I think those are both great. They make a lot of sense to me. I can share with the audience. Uh, 
as somebody who has often been told they put people into threat, I hope un- unintentionally on my part, but you know, for whatever reason, I have always found our conversations where I'm asking you a second time or I'm pushing you in some way, I've always found you to be incredibly receptive to that. And uh, also someone who has pushed me in the same way, uh, for which I'm very, very grateful. So I think those requests make a ton of sense. And I, for one, commit to that. And I hope other, other people do as well. Mandisa, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, it just has been a joy. It's always been a joy to work with you, a joy to speak with you. And uh, with that, I think we're going to we're going to leave this interview uh, and listen to your favorite song because we're always going to ask people what their favorite song is. And when you wrote me and said this was your favorite song, I started to cry because this is my <laughs> favorite song too. So, um, so with that, I hope everybody enjoys it. And uh, thank you very much, Mandy. Awesome. Thank you. Merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly won't you help to sing these songs of freedom cause all i ever have redemption songs redemption songs emancipate yourselves from mental slavery none but ourselves can free our mind have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption songs yourselves from mental slavery none but ourselves can free our mind oh have no fear for atomic energy cause none of them cannot stop at the time how long shall they kill our prophets while we stand
stand aside and look Yes, some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you hate to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption songs All I ever had Redemption songs These songs of freedom Songs of freedom 